We are in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And remember the context of the book of Hebrews. The Jewish believers, people who were Jews, who took on the truth of the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, that are living around Jerusalem, are thinking about going back to Judaism, denying their their faith in the Messiah. It's about 68 A.D., and they're thinking about denying their faith because the persecution is becoming very heavy for them. And so the author of the book of Hebrews is actually trying to uh, uh, tell them that, that that's not an option for you. You can't do that because you're going to end up going back into Jerusalem and that city is going to be attacked and you're going to end up dying physically. It's not talking about a spiritual death, but he's talking about a physical death. Then he gets to Hebrews chapter 11, where we are right now, and what he's doing in Hebrews chapter 11 is he is actually teaching us about faith. And the way he's teaching about faith is he's bringing in the patriarchs, those who had great faith in the Old Testament. So again, you see the context of this book is not being written, this book is not written to Gentiles, this book is being written to Jews who have come into a knowledge and faith. He refers to them as brethren, which means that they, are, they have come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's the whole context that they understand Abraham better than we do. You know, we think, well, we, we know about Abraham. We don't know about Abraham compared to the Jewish people knowing about Abraham. Abraham is like their main guy. <clears throat> so he's teaching them. And so when he makes reference to Abraham... What we need to do is we need to go back and look at the life of Abraham. He's referring to stories in Abraham's life. We need to go back and look at the life of Abraham, and that's what we're going to do. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, it says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So now we're going to turn back to Genesis chapter 17 and look again at at, uh, Sarah and look again at, at Abraham. And what we covered last time was that in Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abraham and he said to Abraham, you are going to have a son He's going to be your own son. In other words, it's not going to be someone, but, but someone born from you is going to be, be your heir. And, and then in Genesis chapter 16, he never mentioned Sarah in this. He never said it was going to come through Sarah. Sarah then tries to say, you know, she yields her position. And the New Testament, we looked at these verses, speak very highly of Sarah. She didn't do anything wrong. She was actually quite yielding. And she had no idea it was going to come through her. So she offers up Hagar and she says, the child will come through her. She thought she was doing a good thing. That's why the the, the scriptures never come against her and only speak very highly of her in the New Testament. And then in chapter 17, uh, uh, God says to Abraham, he, he renames him and he says, Abraham, you're going to have a son and Sarah is going to be the one that's that's going to bear that child. So it was, she didn't know that back in Genesis chapter 16. It wasn't told to Abraham until Genesis chapter 17. And then in Genesis chapter 18, he then speaks directly to Sarah. So actually, one could say that Sarah's faith was in a way even greater. 
Because Abraham had many words coming to him from God. Sarah had nothing. Sarah was relying just on what her husband told her. It wasn't until Genesis chapter 18 that she hears God herself. So you see that how she was functioning, and Jesus even talks about this in the New Testament. Thomas comes to him and says, after he rose from the dead, he says, now I believe. And that, that's in, in John chapter 20, verse 29, because I've seen you, so I believe. And Jesus said, you've seen me and now believe? Blessed is he who has not seen me and yet believes. In other words, it's greater to believe that he's risen from the dead without having seen him with your own eyes. And I would venture to guess that none of us have seen Jesus with our own eyes. But when we take hold and believe that he's risen from the dead, we are more blessed, the scriptures say, by not seeing and yet believing. This is what Sarah went through. For years and years, she never had these revelations. She never had the direct voice from God that Abraham had. Yet she continued to believe. She had no idea it was going to come through her until actually in Genesis chapter 17. But there's another portion that we want to look at in Genesis chapter 17. So we discussed most of that last time. But this portion in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 17, it says, God said further to Abram, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generation. A servant who is born in your house or is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or was bought with money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So he speaks about this covenant of circumcision. Now remember at the top of this chapter in verse 1, it says Abram was 99 years old. So at this time, Abram's 99, Sarah's 89, and, and uh, Ishmael is 13 the son of Hagar, the son of a- who's, who's also the son of, of, of Abram. And it's in this chapter that he, he renames Abraham, renames Abram as Abraham. And then we go on down to verse 23. It says, Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all his servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's household and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Think about that. The very same day that God said to him to do this, he did it. Now, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abram was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Now, circumcision was a very important thing and remains to be among the Jewish people. If you look in, in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, and turn to chapter 4. In this portion of the book of Exodus, Moses is moving in, out in the wilderness. Moses, for some reason, didn't circumcise his two sons. 
because his wife, who his wife did not, was not in favor of these boys being circumcised. It's kind of an odd thing. And she wasn't going to let it happen. And, and I understand that. I mean, a woman can be firm on something and the man says, okay, you know. It's only God who told me. I mean, but I'm not going to come against you. I, I understand that. And, and uh, uh, so if you, if you look down in verse 24, look what God does. Uh, uh, in in uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 24, it says, Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him, that is Moses, and sought to put him to death. Now think about this. Imagine the Lord meeting you and say, Oh, I've come to kill you. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? Who do you appeal to now? <laughs> then Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So his wife sees that God's going to kill Moses. And she, so she takes a stone, a flint, and she circumcises the two boys and she throws it at the boy's feet. Now, I'm telling you, men of God, you think that, oh, everything was always good with their wives. I mean, they had problems. It's natural. These things happen. Remember, these are great men of faith. She threw it at, 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 at Moses' feet. She said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, meaning God didn't kill Moses. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. You see how important a thing it was. And it carries out even into the New Testament. So if you turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. Paul came... So remember, this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra, Acts 16.1. And a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul actually took Timothy and had him circumcised. He didn't do this for Titus, but he did it for Timothy. Why? Because Timothy's mother was Jewish. Now Jews will say, Jews will say that Jewishness goes through the mother. Actually, Jewishness always went through the father biblically. In the Old Testament, it was always through the father. If it were not through the father, then David would not be a Jew. Then Ephraim and Manasseh, after two tribes, their mother was an Egyptian who was, who, who, their mother was an Egyptian who was married to Joseph. They would not be Jews. It always went through the father. It was much later in rabbinic Judaism, it started going through the mother. They changed it. And that's because Jewish women were being raped. They never knew who the father was. So they said it's going to go through the mother. And so that carries on through today. They say it's through the mother. But actually, biblically, it was always through the father until you get to the New Testament. Paul says your mother was a Jew. Your father was a Greek. You're a Jew. Get circumcised. So so to my Jewish friends, I say, oh, yeah, actually, it says in the New Testament, it can be through the mother. Paul was the first to say it. So, so Paul was the first to say it could come through the mother as well. So it's either through the mother or through the father. But you see, even in the New Testament, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, circumcision. So that's why Jews today, 
they are believe, even if they're believers in the Messiah, they will always have their sons circumcised. This is a big thing. This predates the Mosaic law. Abraham lived, lived before Moses did. And he says, this is going to be effective throughout your generations. But what I want you to think about is we turn back to, 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 uh, to Genesis chapter 17. What I want you to think about is the, here's this guy, 99 years old. He gets this revelation from the Lord that everyone in his household has to be circumcised. So imagine this. There's a 99-year-old guy and they use flint stones. So in other words, you take a stone of flint and you break it and it gives a very sharp edge. And he's coming to Ishmael, his son. He's saying, don't, don't worry, it'll be all right. And Ishmael is like, can you imagine what this must have been like? I mean, you, there's no way a 99-year-old can catch a 13-year-old. A 13-year-old has reflexes like a bobcat. And, and just not going to happen. But he had to do this to everyone in his household. There are all these men that he owns or in his servants and all these people. Remember, he was a big, rich guy. And he's got to convince all of them to be circumcised. You think this is easy? You think, that, oh, yeah, I'm glad to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet you really heard from the Lord. Told you to do this. What is the lesson? It is not easy to make a decision to walk with the Lord. And I'll give you the example and the application for this. When I was, when my daughter, my, my, my oldest daughter was about three years old, my younger daughter was about one year old. My, my second daughter was about one year old. My father-in-law came to visit us. And he said to me, he says, Jim, I see you're a very busy man. You're trying to build your career. You have these two little girls. He said, you're going to have to start teaching them the Bible clearly and have a time with them in the morning. We would pray with them in the, at night. We would pray with them in the morning. But we didn't have a consistent time with them. And when he told me that, I picked that up and we started doing that in the morning. And so we would meet 5.30 in the morning. I would get the kids up and we would read the scriptures together and I would pray with them. And, and, and uh, uh, we would pray over the kids. And then as they got older, we would practice scripture memorization and I'd read them a portion from the Bible. And I was out of the house by six. And I remained doing that. I still leave my house at six, six every morning. But since I wanted to maintain being able to leave at 6 in the morning, we had to have family devotions at 5.30. And so all my kids, that's all they ever remember. And then when the boys were born, I mean, all they ever remember, I mean, from the crib, I picked them up. Even Shereen, you say, you can let them sleep. I said, no, this is the family time. We're going to do this. I was going to do this. And I brought them all out there. And even, even when they're, you know, after 10 years, 15 years, every time I'd go to wake them up in the morning at 5.30, they'd be like, whoa, 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 what's the matter? Why are you waking me up? I said, oh, I can't imagine why I'm waking you up. Why would I be doing this? We did this. It is not easy for a man to institute something new in a family that's going to start impacting other people because people rebel. You know, people argue with him. But what I'm telling you is God has plans for your life and you have to be willing to institute it. What we read is that day Abraham did it. There were no negotiations. He said, we're going to do this. And I'm sure Ishmael wasn't like, oh, praise the Lord. I'm really looking forward to this. But he did it. He did it. 
There are things that you have to do in your own life to take steps to walk with the Lord, to have a devoted time alone with the Lord, that you make decisions today. You don't delay on this. If you don't do it, make the decision today. Because the more you delay, the harder it will get. You'll think of more excuses. So you make a decision and you walk in it. This is what God has for you. That's what Abraham did. This is the example of a man of faith. It says repeatedly in the scriptures we read in in Genesis chapter 15 verse 4, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That same portion is, is, is twice over in the New Testament, twice over copied in the New Testament in, in Galatians 3 6 and James 2 23. Three times it says it twice in the New Testament that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. If you want to be righteous before God, you make decisions that affect your life, that cause you to have to wake up earlier than you'd like to, that cause you to have to go to bed at an hour so that you know you can wake up at a certain hour to have a time with the Lord. You want to walk with the Lord or don't you? It is never too late to increase in piety before the Lord. Never too late. Don't delay on this. That very same day he did it. Okay, let's turn over to to Genesis chapter 18. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. So, this is actually the same year. He's still 99. And how do we know he's still 99? Because of the words that are going to be said, because we know that that, uh, uh, Isaac was born to him at age 100. So he's still 99. He was 99 in Genesis chapter 17. He's 99 now. He's going to make a promise to him that this time next year, I'm going to come back and you're going to have a child named Isaac. And that makes sense that he's 80, that he's 99. The next year his son is born. Abraham is a hundred. They they knew how to count years back then. So this thing, they didn't count years right back then. They had trouble. No, everything was right. Everything works out right because we had learned earlier in Genesis that that Abraham, that, that uh, Abraham was, was uh, 86 when Ishmael was born, it says. And then in the last ha- chapter, he says, Abraham is, 80, is 99, Ishmael is 13. It all adds up right. They knew how to do arithmetic. All right? So, so um, there are these three guys walking. Abraham sitting by the oaks of Mamre. Remember, Mamre was the, the Ammonite. Abraham was a visitor in that land. God promised him the land, but it says he gave him not one foot of the land, it says in, in, in Hebrews. He's sitting by these oaks that Mamre let him occupy that place. And so you see they got along quite well with the people in the land. There was no conflict between the, the, the Israelites and those, those of the land at this time. He saw these three men walking and he ran and he fell before them. It says he bowed himself down to the earth. That means his head is all the way down. Not just a little. No, he's all the way down. Not, just boom. All the way down. He says, my Lord, if now I've found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. There are three men walking. One of them is the Lord. Two of them are angels, as we're going to learn. 
But how do we know they're not just all three angels, that one of them is the Lord? Because Moses, because Abraham bowed down to them and they didn't say, get up, don't do that. Every time a man bowed down to an angel, the angel would pick him up. Say, don't, don't do that. I'm a servant just like you are. And one of these three men was special. Now look what happens. He says, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Don't go by me. If I've found favor in your sight, don't pass me by. He says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on your way since you have visited your servant. So look what he says. He says, let me just get a little water to wash your feet and I'll bring you a little piece of bread. And they said, so do as you've said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd. This is guy 99. He ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. How long does it take to prepare a meal? To go from calf to food. I mean, it's got to be a couple of hours. But these men waited. He told them, I'm just going to bring a little water and a little bread. But what he brought to them was a full meal. Curds, milk, calf. Uh, uh, uh. So, so he brought, brought to them th- this, this, uh, um, this wonderful meal he brought to them. And he said, you know, you know let me just go, go and bring this for you. So what did he do? He went and he said, Sarah, make this food. That's exactly what I do. Come to our house for lunch. We have lunch for you. I don't do anything. Then I tell Shireen. And Shireen does everything. Everything. This is exact. I, I learned actually from Abraham how to do this. I'm following the example. But that's what he did. And Abraham and, and Sarah's probably like, there he goes again. He promised these guys this to me. I know I'm getting stuck doing all of this. And he served them and it says, and he placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Abraham is standing and he's letting them eat. The guests eat first. Learn that. If you didn't learn that growing up, learn it now. The guests eat first. They eat first. You let them take first. If there's none left, there's none left. You let the guests take first. He placed it before them and he was standing by them as they ate. He's just standing. He doesn't, he doesn't even want to take of this. He just wants whatever's there. He wants it for them. And so much food. What did Jesus do whenever he would supply bread to the masses? He would have his disciples go around and they'd pick up baskets full. One little basket. Baskets full. Twelve baskets full left over. How did they cook? They cooked plenty. It was not, okay, everybody's going to get one hot dog and a few ch- and four chips. None of that in the body of Christ. It doesn't happen that way. You want to walk like they walk? You walk in hospitality. This man had a gift of hospitality. And this is what men of faith do. And they give an abundance, an abundance. These men were going to walk by. And Abraham said, don't pass me by. You come into my home. Shireen has always said, when there's a man of God in town or a missionary family in town, let him come to our home for a meal. 
We want their blessing coming into our home. If you give to one of these little ones a cup of water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Imagine if you should give them a whole meal, what your reward is going to be. He who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Think about that. You receive a prophet into your home, a man of God, a woman of God into your home. You receive the prophet's reward. The reward that that prophet is going to get, you're going to get too. You want blessing to fall upon your life, your career, your family. You learn how to be gracious to the body of Christ. You receive people into your home and God blesses your home. Whatever blessing they're going to get, you're going to get. That's what it says. Whoever receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. You bless them. You bless them. And it brings blessing into your home. You be generous and generosity from God falls upon you. And it says it doesn't just come upon you one for one. It's pressed down, shaken together, overflowing into your lap. That's how it comes. It's like, where's all this blessing coming from? Oh, remember how you were nice to that believer? I was going to bless that believer, so I'm blessing you the same. All he did was give him a meal. Yeah, but you received a righteous man. You're going to receive a righteous man's reward. This is what he's doing. He says, don't pass me by. He recognized these were righteous men. In verse 9, then they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. Remember, up until Genesis chapter 18, not a word was spoken in Sarah's hearing. She only had to hear through Abram and then Abraham. But that woman had faith. She knew what God had spoken and said, through Abraham, through you, is going to come a son. That's why she gave Hagar. Well, how can I stand in his way? I don't want to inhibit Abraham. Abraham, Abram, take this woman. I mean, she was gracious, giving up of her position like that. Now he, he, says, he says, where is Sarah? Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. So you think he didn't know that Sarah was listening? He wanted her to hear he wanted her to hear this. She now heard this man say, I'm going to come back in a year and she's going to have a son. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. So you think Sarah didn't know that she's past childbearing? No, she knew that. Women know this sort of thing. All right? She knew she was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old? Okay, so Sarah laughed to herself. Remember how Abraham laughed when he said, Through Sarah? It says he fell on his face laughing. He couldn't stand up. It was so funny to him in the last chapter. He fell on his face. He couldn't say, He just couldn't breathe. He lost his breath. Boom. He was busting up. This poor woman just laughs to herself. Shun and I know a couple. This guy was in his mid-70s. He had great-grandchildren. His wife dies. He marries a woman in the church 
who was in her late 30s. And when I told Shireen who he's marrying, Shireen could not stop laughing. <laughs> she just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> she just couldn't stop laughing. To her, it was just kind of an oddball sort of thing. But anyway, she, <laughs> Sarah is laughing when things just don't fit right. I mean, you're going to laugh. And Sarah, it says, laugh. It says, it says uh, uh, Sarah laughed to herself. It wasn't like, ah, ha, <laughs> ha. It wasn't like that. It was just to herself, just quietly. And, and uh, um, she's thinking, I, after I become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being so old? I mean, she's thinking about the practical things. I mean, you know, it's not going to be fun anymore. I mean, it's, it's not going to... This is what it says. I'm just reading the Bible. This is what it says. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> so Sarah denied it to the Lord. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> But we do that. No, I, I really didn't do that. Well, I didn't mean to. Just kind of slipped. He said, no, you did it. But he didn't make a big deal out of it. You see how gracious the Lord is? He didn't go, ha, oh, you lied to the Lord. Now you're not going to have your baby anymore. All blessings are gone. Everything is off. The deal is off. He didn't do that. He says, no, you, you did laugh. I know you did. I mean, you see how gracious the Lord is. He's sitting by a well with a woman. He says, go call your husband in John chapter 4. She says, I have no husband. He said, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now isn't your husband. You haven't married him. And she's like, gulp. <laughs> I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> you know, he could well have said, you know, you, you're a tramp. You're a tramp. You've had five husbands and you're living with a guy right now. But you know what he said to her? He turned the whole thing around. He said, you know, you've said correctly, I have no husband, because you had five and the one you're with is not your husband. So I guess, you know, it's kind of correct. He took the woman's lie and he turned it into a truth. You see how gracious God is? How gracious he is. How kind he is. And you just see those characteristics in the Lord. I want you to learn to be generous. I want you to learn to be generous. That when you have friends, you provide for them. When I was in graduate school, it was before I was married, and, and uh, I, had a, I lived in a graduate dormitory, so I didn't have a kitchen or anything. And they didn't used to have kitchens on the floors in those days. That's a new thing. And, uh, um, and I used to get, get hot chocolate, and I used to get boxes of chocolate. And they used to invite guys on the floor into my room and I'd serve them hot chocolate and chocolate. <laughs> and they liked it. But what I could give, I gave to them. And then I remember that as soon as we got married, I knew Shireen had a gift of hospitality. That was the woman that I knew that I was marrying. And all these people that I had met my first year of graduate school, I was inviting them over for dinner at different times. And she would just make feasts for these people. 
and they'd never forget it. We go all over the world now, and wherever I go, people are like, I've eaten in your home. I've eaten in your home. And I don't even remember them, but they've eaten in my home. You learn to be gracious. This is the example of faith that is put before us in Abraham. He says, look at this man of faith. You want to know what faith looks like? You want to know what righteousness looks like? Here it is. This is faith and this is righteousness. This is generosity. Generosity comes through faith. It is a thing of righteousness. Learning to be generous. And then you will receive many times over, many times over. You can really advance your career if you learn to be generous. If you learn to be gracious to others. Don't wait. Don't delay. Start doing this. Pick up what you need to pick up in order to carry out what God has for you. Don't delay. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray for these young people that the things that you have prompted upon their hearts, that they need to have a time with you. They need to spend time with you. Father, I pray that they would not delay, but this very same day, they would commit to this and that they would follow through as Abraham did. Something that was very difficult to have to do. He followed through. Father, may they be the same way. And Lord, I pray for the young people in this, in this room that you would teach them to be generous, to be hospitable, and they would see blessings falling upon their lives because of generosity, because of hospitality. Father, that they would just overflow with it to be gracious, going overboard with graciousness. Father, that they would learn to provide for others first. Father, that they would learn from this man, Abraham, and that they would receive the blessing. And Lord, for those here who don't, do not know you, Father, I pray that you save their souls. Those who see that these principles are good, but have never received Jesus in their hearts. Father, I pray that they would say these words with me right now as I am saying them. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life. Jesus has risen from the dead. Come into my life and save my soul. Father, save the lost, I pray. Lord, I cry out to you. Save their souls, I pray. For the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.